Well, we're looking at uh, Noah's Ark, and I want us to return one more time to that this morning in Genesis uh, chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month and the 17th day on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I said last week that uh, there were uh, three sources of this water. Be difficult if... If it rained 40 days and 40 nights, uh, nobody, I think, even creationists, believe that's enough water to cover the highest mountains in the earth. But you have three sources of the water for the flood. One is that the great deeps burst forth. That's in verse 11. Uh, Anytime you see the word, the deep, That's a reference to the oceans. And there are some great deeps, and they broke open. It's the same word used in Psalm 104 when it says that that there were great valleys in the ocean basins. And if you go to the Pacific Ocean to the lowest point called the Mariana Trench... It's like seven or eight miles deep. It's, uh, so these, these huge cavernous breaches in the ocean floor opened up and volcanic eruptions took place all over the world so that water spewed from the core of the earth because lava is about 90% liquid water. And so that, is, that was one of the sources of the flood. And then it says that the windows of heaven were open. And uh, those of you who were here last week, and I think there's some CDs out there of last week, but those of you who were here last week um, heard me talk about the waters that stood uh, above the earth, this comes out of uh, when God made the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, verse 6 and 7. He said, let there be an expanse or a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse or the space between and separated the waters under the firmament from the waters above the firmament. What is the waters above the firmament or the expanse or the space? There's the waters underneath. That would be ocean waters that the earth was in, the land was in. But then there's the waters above the firmament. And just as there is... An atmosphere, that atmosphere evidently at one time was much thicker and composed of 
a kind of water canopy that filtered the sunlight and its harsh radiation, so, which is one reason that men live so long uh, in these first chapters. Uh, Adam lived 935 years. Noah lived 950 years. These men lived hundreds and hundreds of years because you know what the rays of the sun do. It ages you. And the ultraviolet rays, though, when that waters above the firmament were in place, it filtered those ultraviolet rays, enabled men to live longer and grow larger. Um, it says in Genesis 6, 4, the giants were on the earth in those days. There were, people were huge in those days. And... Um, so this, this kind of pre-flood world is now going to have a catastrophe and one of those things that happens not only the subterranean volcanoes that produce all this water, extra ocean water, but the waters that were above are all going to come down. The windows of the heavens are going to open. And it will come down because it's so cold up there and it's probably consists, a lot of people think that it consisted of uh, a ring that was around the earth, much like the rings of ice around Saturn, only a soft snowflake, sun-reflecting uh, composite. So that's, what's, that's what was up there. But how, whatever com- it was composed of and however it was constituted, it would come down and warm as it came. But even when it hit the earth, it's still going to be ice cold, below freezing. Uh, The estimates that I read was that it would still be even coming through the atmosphere because it's so cold at the top. It would still be 100 degrees below zero by the time it got to the earth. And would come down in a combination of ice and sleet. So these these are the um, sources of the waters. The waters that are now in the oceans, which cover about 70% of the earth, were the waters, much of it, that was once above the earth, above the firmament. The waters in the oceans today drowned the entire world. some thousands of years ago. I don't know how many. But, but that, it's amazing. When you go swimming in the ocean next time, remember that water you just swam in killed everybody in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then look over at uh, Genesis chapter 6. And verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, God tells Noah. Make rooms or nests or cubby holes in the ark, and that's going to be for all the animals, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Verse 15, this is how you're to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, and its breadth 50 and its height 30 cubits. Now, the way they would measure a cubit 
is whoever was the king, they would measure his elbow to the tip of his fingers, and that was the standard cubit for the people over whom he ruled. That was the measuring standard. Almost everybody, unless you were really, really small king, but almost everybody had a had a elbow to finger length of about 17 or 18 inches. Which means that Noah is going to make the ark, it says here, verse 15, 300 cubits. That is going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. About one and a half football fields. So it's big. That means it could carry approximately 1,500,000 cubic feet of storage. Remember in verse 16, it says make a lower, second, and third deck. It had three levels to it. So this, this thing can carry the content, the cargo, and it's going to need it. <laughs> uh, someone used an analogy of the cargo space that is outlined here uh, of the ark and compared it to, a re- to railroad cars. Give me the second one here. If you, the amount of, that you could put on the ark would be equal to 522 railroad cars, and that would be a smaller cubit, 16 or 17 inch cubit. It was not until 1858 that a ship was ever built as big as Noah's Ark. That's how big Noah's Ark was, based on these drawings. Well, it took him 120 years. In 18... 58, a ship was built called the Great Eastern, which was 692 feet long. That was the first time a ship ever exceeded the size of the ark that is listed here. To give you an idea on how big it was, um, the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. has 400 species of animals. And that that's about 2,000 animals that they have. You could fit 60 nationals, Washington, D.C. zoos, 60 into the ark. Actually, the number of animals, you, you realize you don't have to have every kind, like you take the dog, you don't have to gather up all the dogs or cats. Wouldn't have bothered me if he'd have left the cats. Oops, missed one. <laughs> oh, man, sorry. But you have a St. Bernard, you got a German Shepherd, you got a Pekingese. Those are all dogs. You don't have to bring every, kind, every dog on earth. You just bring the species. A dog. One dog, one cat. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought somebody's sneaking up on me back there. 
And today, does anybody know how many... Well, let me tell you what I, how many species there are. I'm afraid you'll contradict my sermon here. <laughs> uh, there are 17,600 species the last time I counted. Actually, that's what I read. And, you, and those could be placed on the first floor alone of the ark. That's enough space on the ark to put the clean and... You have the seven clean and two unclean, or is it two unclean and seven unclean? I forget. But you take the species, you can put all of them on the first floor, put the storage and the foodstuffs on the second floor and live on the third. It's very doable. Plus, you've got some animals that are going to go into hibernation. Please. I'm sure Noah and his wife was like, is he asleep yet? The majority of the animals are going to be small. So when you read this story, it starts to take on the air, the ring of credibility and truth. Now, how would he get all these animals on the ark? Can you see a 500-year-old man out there chasing a herd of deer, come back here. Now, how did he get them there? Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 20. Of birds according to their kinds, animals according to their kinds, creeping things on the ground according to its kind or species, two of every sort shall what? Come to you. Ah. Could God do that? Can he put within an animal an instinct that when the climate changes, it goes south? In the book of Job 39, verse 26, he said, Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings towards south, that it goes south? How, Job, did you make it do that? God asked Job. Because Job's complaining about the way God's running the, his life. And so God comes to him and he asks him a bunch of questions about nature. Did you, are you the one that saved the geese and the birds by making them go south? No. I did that. See, God is up to the task. This is one of the things we have to do when we come to the Bible. We have to believe it. God's big enough to pull it off. Now, this, these waters that were above the firmament, this canopy of vapor would have caused a greenhouse effect, according to most creationists. Even a tropical paradise over all the earth. So that what we know much today as Iceland and green, or Antarctica, the, weather's, the weather as it is in Alaska... Some of these things are not, were not pre-flood, but after this worldwide catastrophe. 
after the water canopy had collapsed. That is when the climate changes. It would have made Al Gore freak out. <laughs> Look at Second Peter three five. Yeah, let's go to this is be this would be number five. Second Peter three five. This is how the Apostle Peter described the collapse of the waters. He says, For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens that were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now notice the two kinds of water here. The earth standing away from the water. Those waters are above the firmament. It's away from them. And then that's standing in the water. Now that would be the ocean water. So you have two categories of water. That which the earth is away from and that which the earth is connected to. And 2 Peter 3, 6 says, And it's by these, that is by these waters, both the one above the firmament and the one, the oceans, by both of these, the world, and there's the Greek word is cosmos. The world, the cosmos, the universe. That then was being, and here the word is, the Greek word is cataclysmed. We get our English word cataclysm from that. They had a great cataclysm in the universe. Climate change, continental breakage, oceans rising, and the canopy of water collapsing. Tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes. So here is some of the evidence. And we talked about, um, I mentioned to you that the, the climate would have dropped dramatically since that water uh, canopy was about 300 degrees below zero at its peak, at its top. As it moved toward the earth, it would have warmed coming through the atmosphere, but would have still descended like some heavy blanket upon the earth. Would have come down in a kind of sleet. And one writer has, this is a secular writer, uh, in referring to the Uh, frozen mammoths over in Russia, he says, it's one of the most perplexing phenomena of geology, that of the frozen mammoths in Siberia. What is this? Well, let me, give me number six. I'm going to show you how big they were. This shows you, this is a tusk from one of them. There's thousands and thousands of these tusks, and they dig them up and sell them, and and, uh, there's an industry of them. But look at how huge that thing is. That's how big. And remember what I said before the flood? Everything was big because the the sun's rays were filtered. But after the flood, they lived shorter lives, and they, they were smaller. This is... 
one of the tusks of these mammoths that they found over there. Uh, give me the next one up. And here's one of the actual mammoths. Uh, there's a little, there's a guy over there on the right-hand side, if you can see him. But this comes from the Zoology Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. And what they found was, here's this huge mammoth, and most animals, in fact, all animals that I know, lay down when they die. Well, this one was frozen, dug up, and moved literally to the museum in the way it was discovered and dug up. It was standing upright. And when it died, it was the calamity it experienced was so sudden that it actually was eating buttercups, a kind of spring flower in Siberia which tells you that the climate was different when it died. And what is interesting was that it's crushed down. You can see its hind legs. Its pelvis is broken in two places. As if some great weight had descended on it and pushed it down into the earth. And it was in a hundred feet of ice. Frozen solid in Siberia. Now, so, so these guys, they say, this is a most perplexing problem. <laughs> well, when you open the Bible and it talks about that there was a firmament above the heaven that filtered these sun's rays and then when the flood came and it, the canopy, the windows of heaven opened and it collapsed onto the earth and it collapse in such a way as to change the climate conditions and shift the continents and cause an ice age in some of the areas. And it would come down as a pressurized blanket and freeze wherever it went. Then you can understand why there are discoveries like this. Further, there is what is called fossil fields. Uh, And that's where it's like there are literally hundreds of thousands of animals all buried in sediment and pressurized at one time. And uh, what was interesting was the, the description of one of these fossil fields is that there were tigers running, evidently running, alongside of antelope. And there were wolves running alongside sheep. And foxes alongside rabbits and mice. And something had scared them so much that they ran alongside each other without any problem. They didn't run away from each other. They were running. Everybody was running from something else. They were running toward higher ground. The idea is they were running, trying to get to higher ground, and were caught in some great catastrophe. And now their bones are all mixed together in these huge 
fossil fields of hundreds of thousands, even millions, including fish, and tropical flowers found on top of the coldest mountains, the Antarctic. At the North Pole, they just discovered a tropical turtle. How did it get here? Well, it had to come from somewhere where it's warm. (laughs) Maybe it was warm there at one time. I don't know how else you're going to get a turtle to walk all the way over or even swim. But these things are, are just amazing and they are very confirming of God's holy word. Now, let me just give you, because I, I know that time is the issue here, so I, I want to bring you what I think is God would say to us and what His Holy Spirit would say to us. When we think about the flood of Noah, we think about the catastrophe in his day. We think about the reason was the sin of man, the violence that covered the earth, the corruption of humanity. I want to give you three responses to this story. And we're going to have to move on from Noah, but boy, I do it hesitantly because this story has just gotten into my heart. But here's our response, and here's my response, too. First, we should respond to the story of Noah by believing the Bible and not being afraid of science and knowledge and archaeology and geology and discovery. This this word is true, and God is a God of truth, and we do not have to be afraid of discovering more truth. Everything that they discover will confirm this. It may leave them perplexed. It is truly perplexing what we should do with the mammoth, frozen, big elephants. Well, let someone who believes the Bible explain it to you so you won't be perplexed anymore. But we should believe His Word and not be afraid of science. No young person ever has to leave the church because there are no answers to their questions. There are answers to these things. And when they go to school and get contradictory philosophies, church, we need to be ready to give an answer. One of the things I want to do, we want to build an education building right over there and fill it with little children. There's 50 to 100 that we could fill that place up with over there. And we want to have resources, books and materials that will answer every single question they would ask about the scientific aspects of the Bible. They never have to leave the church to get their questions answered. And by the way, we've begun our fundraising and and sooner or later, everybody's going to get a letter and everybody's going to get maybe even a phone call. Please help us build a building. Uh, Commit to $5,000, $10,000, 
over a period of two to three years. Just help us do this. Be sacrificial. Noah, because he, out of fear of things not seen, he built an ark to the saving of his family. So let us do the same. Let's save our children and grandchildren. I'm, I'm committing to it. We should believe his words and not be afraid of science. A second response that we should bring to these kinds of stories, these incredible, miraculous stories. And that is that we should be able to put our lives in the hands of the Almighty God. When God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, but I want you to build an ark. I'm going to gather up all the animals. I don't know how to gather animals. I don't know how to build an ark. That's going to be an ark that's so big it'll take a hundred years. Can you imagine what he faced? God's big enough. There is, look at uh, chapter chapter 6 and verse 17. There's an interesting word that I came across when I was studying this. He says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. That Hebrew word for flood is mabul. It's the only place in the Old Testament that it's used is, is in the story of Noah, except for, there's one exception, it's used in Psalm 29 and verse 10, the, where it says, The Lord sits over, reigns over the mabul, the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Just think about what is threatening your life. I want you to know if God can rescue Noah from the mabul, the flood, he sits as king over your flood as well. Yours is local. If he can handle a universal deluge, he can handle your little backyard pool. <laughs> I don't mean to insult you on your problems, but, but get, get a vision of the majesty of this God. He rearranges mountains. Geologists have found mountains that have literally been folded over. They have been, they have been crushed up with other mountains and then pushed until they just folded over. They didn't move, they folded. This God moves mountains. One of the things that I love is this Psalm 4610. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth is removed and mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. Be still and know I am God. Psalm 4610. Man, if God can sit as king over that flood, He can reign over ours. He rules. He's a big God. He's sovereign God. He knows what He's doing. He's headed somewhere and He's going to get there on time. So we just trust Him. 
And then here's the third thing. Let's expect that this mighty God is a God who wants to give us a new future and a new beginning. I want you to notice, look at Genesis 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah, Genesis 9, 1, and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know where we hear that again? Or not again, but where we've heard it before? Is with Adam. In Genesis 1... 28, when God first speaks to a person. It says, Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them, Adam and Eve. Genesis 1, 28. I turn over here in Genesis 9, and God blessed Noah. I turn back to what he did with Adam, and it says, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I turn over here, and it says, God blessed Noah and said, Be fruitful and multiply. I turn back to Genesis 1, and he said, And fill the earth, replenish the earth. I turn over here to Genesis 9, and he says, And fill or replenish the earth. I turn back over here. So you get in the picture, right? What God is saying to Adam, he now repeats to Noah. Noah is like a new Adam. He's got a new creation going on here. He even gives him, he says, all the earth will be subdued to you. Have to go out and have dominion over everything. Fish of the sea, animals in the earth. Same thing for Noah here. Genesis 9-2. The fear and dread of you will be on every beast of the earth and every kind of bird in the heavens and everything creeps and all the fish of the sea into your hand they're delivered. Everything God gave to Adam, God now gives to Noah. And it's like he says, here's a new creation. You're a new Adam. And where that one has failed, you begin again. God is a God who gives us new beginnings. He's a God who gives us a future. He says the past is done, we begin again. This is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, all things are made new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Everything is new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. So God is here today to give you a future. Let's commit our lives to Him and to follow Him, believe His Word, Don't be afraid of science. Don't be afraid of geology. Don't be afraid of what the educators will say because nothing, we are not afraid of truth. We are bold in the Word of God and we believe that what the Word of God says, God did and we expect Him to be gracious and mighty on our behalf and give us a new beginning and a new creation through Christ. That is my testimony today.